So in our study of the book of Luke, uh, we come to this story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, this wee little man who climbed up on a sycamore tree, and then the Lord came by, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. He said, I'm going to stay in your house today. Zacchaeus, this man who once was lost, but now is found. You're probably very familiar with this story of Zacchaeus, and here's how the story ends, and we'll read it in just a minute. But here's how Jesus ends this story. I came to seek what was lost. Here's a person who was lost. And Jesus came, and he sought, and he found Jesus. Uh, he found Zacchaeus. At the beginning of the book of Luke, Jesus uh, lines out his ministry in quoting Isaiah chapter 61. And he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And that's us. We all are spiritually poor. We all are, all are like beggars before God. And he goes on and says, and to proclaim freedom to the captives. And all of us are in bondage to sin. We're all infected with the virus of sin. And to open the eyes of the blind. All of us are spiritually blind. And so now at the end of, of, of his ministry, and this is about a week before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus came, says, here's my mission, here's my purpose, this is what I came for. I came to seek what was lost. So Zacchaeus was one of those, like we are, who was lost, but now he's found. In many ways, this is the parable of the lost sheep applied. This is Jesus, the good shepherd who came looking for us, who came, we are the lost sheep. We all have gone astray, but he came looking for us, and he found us. And, and here in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, here's how Jesus summarized the parable of the lost sheep. It says, there will be more joy in heaven for over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So last week we looked at the rich young man who came to Jesus, asking, how can I be saved? And he walked away sadly because he was not able to let go of all his wealth. And now it's time to party, as Pastor Derek pointed out this week, because this is Zacchaeus who repents, and Jesus says there'll be more joy in heaven over one, over one. Jesus is telling us, I would have died for you alone, just for you, Zacchaeus. Jesus would have taken your place. He's the good shepherd who's looking for us. So Zacchaeus, he was once lost, but now is found. So let us read from Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He had no intent of staying in Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem. This is about a week before Jesus went to the cross. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter or to grumble. He has gone to, the, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. And here we go, Jesus' mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So Zacchaeus once was lost. He was lost in his sins. The word, the name Zacchaeus, it's possible that it comes from the family line of the Sakai people, which is actually mentioned in the Old Testament. There was a group of men who came with Ezra and Nehemiah. They came back to, they're mentioned in both books, came back to Jerusalem, the Sakai people. And the word is from the word, the name is taken from the word Sakak, which means to be pure and to be bright or to be clean. That's not who Zacchaeus was, was it? He was not pure. He was not clean. He was not bright. He was a sinner. And he knew he was a sinner because people avoided him. He was a social outcast because there's two things we know about him. He was a tax collector. And because of that, he most likely also was wealthy. So what about tax collectors? What's so bad about tax collectors, you know? I know you don't like them yourself, do you? None of us do. I know we, not, we know we have to pay taxes, but we don't like getting letters from the IRS, do you? Now, they never call you, by the way, so if you ever get a call from the IRS, just hang up. It's, it's a spam, okay? It's, it's not, they don't do that, okay? They don't, they don't have time for you, and if you ever call them, be ready to wait two hours on the phone just for someone to answer. Say, yes, what do you want, kind of. Uh, they, they send you letters, and I've received these letters, and like, oh, oh, what's happening? What's going on? It's like, my heart starts beating, like, what's going on? You don't like to hear from the IRS. So we don't like tax collectors, but they really did not like tax collectors, because here's what happened um, with the Romans. So when the Romans began to spread as an empire, they would take these provinces, and they would, they would basically... Uh, Leverage tax on each province, just a certain amount. You've got to raise this much money. The Romans didn't have to pay taxes, of course. You raised this much money, and it was up to the governor to raise the taxes. So then the governor would hire what's called publicans, and they were Roman citizens, and they would say, like, say, okay, my share is this much. Let's say $100,000 is my share. I'll raise this much money. And then he would hire tax collectors who would go out and actually raise the taxes for him, and each one had his cut. Above and beyond what they were supposed to, to pay, they also took a cut out of it. And sometimes whatever they wanted to charge is what people had to pay. The system was totally crooked and unfair. So people did not like tax collectors because they basically cheated them out of their income. And Zacchaeus was such a tax collector. Not only this, but he, it says he was the chief tax collector. Um, meaning that he most likely oversaw uh, several tax collectors and took his cut just from that. He was a social outcast. No, no one liked him. And by the way, when it says um, in Matthew chapter 2, when it says that Caesar Augustus made a decree that all the world should be counted, remember the census that happened? What was behind this is probably that the Romans tried, tried to change taxation. They went from a from, a, from an amount that was given to a province to more of a head tax. So they wanted to know how many people live in each province so that they could more accurately tax the people. That's what be, was behind the census that Caesar Augustus decreed should happen. 
but no one liked them. Here's what one person says. As a class, the tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews. This was almost inevitable. They represented the foreign domination of Rome. Their methods were necessarily inquisitorial. That they often overcharged people and pocketed the surplus is almost certain. In the rabbinical writings, they are classified with robbers, thieves, because they steal money. In the synoptic gospels, they are bracketed with sinners. This shows the common attitude of the Jewish people toward them. They were considered to be renegades who sold their service to the foreign oppressors to make money at the expense of their own countrymen. Jesus was accused of being a friend of tax collectors several times. Several times. That's what people held against him. You like these people. It's almost like Jesus had a soft spot for them. You know why? Because they knew they were sinners. They knew they were lost. People let them know that. You're a social outcast. So were the prostitutes. Now, one of them was more the social outcast. The other one was the moral outcast because they were morally impure, the prostitutes. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21 that the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Jews. Why? Because they repent. and You do not. When John the Baptist baptized people upon repentance, the tax collectors would come and be baptized, and they would ask him the question, what must we now do? What should we do now? And so John the Baptist says, don't overcharge people. Just take what is yours. Because you, you, you have to live off as a tax collector. You can take your share, but not more than you're supposed to. And so they did. So Jesus says, they repent. They turn away from their sins, but you do not. And actually, those parables that we looked at a couple weeks ago, Luke chapter 15, they were told to the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus talked to the tax collectors and the sinners, and he told them these parables. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who came to seek that which was lost. Secondly, it says that Zacchaeus was wealthy. He has a lot of money. He had a lot of money. And Scripture is very clear in many ways in, tell, in warning us of the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth can deceive us. And there are stories in the book of Luke that we haven't looked at because we're skipping over the, many of the parables. Uh, it's like the parable in, in chapter 12 of the rich farmer who had a, lot, a great harvest and he built himself this storage building. And then he says, I'm just going to enjoy my life now. Have fun. And then Jesus says, tonight God will demand an account of you. What are you going to say? Because you're rich in the world, but you're not rich with God. It's the story of Lazarus in chapter 16. Uh, the, 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 um, the poor man Lazarus, who lay at the doorstep of a rich man, just begging for scraps of his table. And you know what happened to the rich man? As he entered into eternity without God. <clears throat> so scripture warns us of the deceitfulness of wealth. As in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. That's our problem. We put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not that... God doesn't want us to have money. It's not that he doesn't want us to be wealthy. 
It says we put our hope in wealth instead of putting our hope in God. He said actually God provides richly for our enjoyment. God says be happy. I want you to have joy in life. But when you put your hope in wealth, that's the problem. James says, like a wildflower, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. It's so uncertain, this wealth. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you, which is talking about judgment after life. Revelation 3 verse 17, you say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is Jesus talking to the church in Laodicea and telling them, Although you have a lot of resources, although you're wealthy, but you're poor with God. Because you put your hope, you put your trust in your wealth. Wealth deceives us. And so was Zacchaeus deceived. Let me ask you this question. How many ways can you be lost? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. How many ways can a person be lost? Or how many ways are there to be lost? As many as there are people. You know, we're all lost in our own way. So the, the rich young man was lost in his wealth. The prodigal son was lost in his rebellion and in his poverty then. All of us are lost. And here are the Jews and they're lost in their self-righteousness. Because they, they mutter, they grumble and complain, Jesus, why, why don't you go and stay with a, a more upright person instead of this, this, this sinner, this social outcast? They cannot see the grace of God. They cannot perceive the love of God who would turn to sinners and embrace the sinners. So they're lost in their, in their self-righteousness. How many ways are there to be lost? Well, uncountable but there's only one way you can be saved only one way there's no other name which is given above heaven and earth but the name of jesus through which we shall be saved there's only one way that we can be saved and that is through the lord jesus christ all of us are lost and in our lostness we need to seek him repentance begins if you ask me repentance begins where we come to acknowledge that we're lost um, right now, I've never done this before, I apologize, but I've, um, uh, I've never read the book about AA before, because I've never had to struggle with it before. I'm reading the, the 12 steps of the AA. What's the first step? Acknowledge that you're helpless. You can't do a thing. You are an addict. That's what you are. That's who you are. You're an addict, basically. And there's nothing you can do. You are helpless against this addiction. Isn't it? That means being lost. You are lost. There's nothing you can do. You are a sinner. And that's where repentance can come in. That's where salvation actually can be rooted. It's only when we come to this point of being lost. When we come to this point of acknowledging, I am lost. I am the sheep who has gone astray. I'm the one who has wandered off. Where salvation can come in because we actually become open to Jesus. Here's how Peter responded to Jesus. When he first met with Jesus, you know the story that Jesus got into his boat and he preached from the boat. And then um, 
And then he asked Peter, have, have you caught anything? He said, no, nothing. All night we caught nothing. He said, well, throw your net on this side. And so he throws the net on this side, and they can hardly pull it in because so much, so many fish that they caught. Peter gets on his knees before Jesus and says, get away from me because I am a sinful man. He saw Jesus for who he, who, who he was, and right away, what did he notice about himself? I'm a sinner. I'm lost. What do you have to do with me? And then there's Paul, uh, who in 1 Timothy says, this is a trustworthy saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's not quite correct, okay? I many times told Paul, Paul, you're wrong. You don't know me yet. The worst of sinners was not Paul, it was me. I'm the worst of the sinners. Now, I know what Paul is trying to communicate, but unless you can honestly come before God and understand that you're lost, that you are a sinner without hope of salvation, we will not repent. We will not repent because we don't need Jesus. We don't need him. So Jesus came to seek First and foremost, he came to seek those who are lost. And here's, I believe, Zacchaeus was lost because we then, oh, before we get there, we find that he's seeking Jesus. I just want to point out this, this painting to you. This is an etching that Rembrandt made in 1653. And pay, pay attention to the, the colors here, to the black and the light. Who's in the dark and who's in the light? You know, who's in the dark, who's in the light? You see here on the left, the people who are mocking Jesus. They're in the darkness. They're walking away. You see those under the cross are in the light. There's Mary and, and, and John and, and others who, who came to the crucifixion. Then there's that one of the thieves is in the darkness. He who mocked Jesus. And there's the thief on the cross. What did he say to Jesus? He, he said to the other thief on the cross and says, We are here deservedly. Why are you mocking him? Why are you mocking him? And he turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus says, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Let me ask you this question. Was he able to get off the cross and change his life? Was he able to become a better person? Was he able to do anything for God? Nothing. Nothing. But he is the light of God shining on this person because he understood one thing. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I messed up my life. And here I am on the cross. I'm paying for my sins. I'm paying for what I did wrong. And I deservedly, I'm hanging here. And all I have right now is to look to Jesus. Lord, remember me. That's salvation. That's where the grace of God comes in and Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. You don't deserve it. But that's what I came for. I came to save those who are lost. And then we see Zacchaeus understanding that he's lost because he's looking for Jesus. He's seeking out Jesus. But the important part of this story is not that he's seeking Jesus, but that Jesus is seeking him. That Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus. Now this is another parable applied here. It's a parable of the, that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18. It's a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee who goes into the temple and he stands before God and says, God, thank you. Thank you that I 
am not like this guy. I am a good person. I pray five times, six times a day. I give to the poor. I fast twice a week. Thank you that I'm not like this guy behind me, this tax collector who is standing there. He doesn't even dare to raise his eyes. He's beating on his chest and he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Jesus says what? This one, the tax collector, walked away righteous. The Pharisee did not. Why? Because he understood who he was before God. That's where repentance can begin. You see, what's the significance of Zacchaeus climbing up the tree? Well, because he was little, yes. But I think there's something deeper going on. It's, it's Zacchaeus, he did not dare to go before Jesus. This is like the woman who, who was bleeding for 12 years. You remember that story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years? What did she do? She did not dare going up to Jesus because she was unclean. She knew she was unclean. And if she touched Jesus, Jesus would become unclean. So she did not dare going up to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you please heal me? All she could hope for is just to touch Jesus from behind without him noticing it. Because she knew who she was. And this is Zacchaeus who did not dare going up to Jesus. Not like the rich young man. The rich young man had confidence in himself to talk to Jesus because he was a good person. I'm going to talk to Jesus. He has to listen to me. He was a self-righteous person, and uh, everybody respected him. Everybody looked up to him. Maybe he was a great employer. So the rich young man comes up to Jesus. Jesus loves him. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was this outcast. He was this sinner. He knew who he was, that he was lost. He did not dare even speak to Jesus or to look. At, all, all he could dare for is to look at Jesus. And so he climbed the tree in hopes that at least he could get a glimpse of Jesus. The important thing is this, that Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped, and then he looked up. I want you to notice oh, what this word looking up actually means. Looking up, it's sometimes used as in uh, Jesus broke the bread, uh, he, he gave thanks for the, for the bread and for the fish, and he looked up to God and he prayed, sometimes used like this. Most of the times it means to receive sight. It's translated as receiving sight. It's the story of the blind people. Whenever there's a blind person in Scripture, even Paul himself who, who went blind for three days and then he received his sight. Jesus looked up. Jesus gave him sight. That moment Zacchaeus knew. When Jesus looked at him, Zacchaeus' eyes were opened, and he saw, as for the first time, who Jesus was, who he was. He already knew who he was, but then he saw Jesus, and he understood the love of God who came in this, in this man, Jesus, who died for our sins. And everything changed in his life. We are asked to seek God. Matthew chapter 6 says, seek, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing you can do with your life. Seek God. Or Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells his disciples, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you will be given. 
So there's promises surrounding this us seeking God. But you know what? None of us would ever find him. None of us would ever find him unless he opened your eyes. Unless he gave you sight. You would never care. You would never care about Jesus. You would never care about the truth as such. It says it is God who comes to us. It's Jesus who sought him. Because Zacchaeus will keep seeking. Had Jesus not stopped and looked up at him, he would still be lost. Even all his seeking, he would still be lost. Scripture tells us that the, the Spirit convicts us of our sins. It's the Spirit that needs to move first. It's the Spirit who shows us. He's the Spirit who opens our eyes, who points Jesus out to us, because you would never draw God to, near to God unless He moves in our lives. We all are lost. Even in our seeking, we can be lost unless Jesus comes and seeks us. This is the story of the Good Shepherd who came to seek those who are lost. Are you lost? Are you lost? Like Zacchaeus was lost. And then he was found. So Zacchaeus was lost. He was seeking for Jesus. Jesus found Zacchaeus. And everything changed in his life. <clears throat> so he looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. That's what I want to do. I want to eat with you. How did he respond? The first thing he says, he came down and he was glad he rejoiced because jesus revealed himself to him so the first response is what the first response is joy i want you to notice something that in the greek language the word joy and the word grace are almost the same almost they have the same root one is cairo which means joy the other one is charis which means grace see joy from, comes from the grace of god we're joyful not because life is great. We're joyful not because of our circumstances, not because everything is going well. It's, we're joyful because God has shown us His love and His grace. That's the basis of our joy. It's the second of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, joy, peace. It's a response to the grace of God. That God has poured out His grace upon us. Therefore, we are joyful. I'm going to jump over some things because we're trying to keep this as short as possible. And then the second response was this, that um, Zacchaeus gave away his wealth. Um, so he, when the people are grumbling and, and mumbling against Jesus associating with him as, as a sinner, Zacchaeus stands up and says, look, Lord, I'm going to give, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. What do you mean Half. I mean, to the rich young man, he said, how much should he give away? All of it. Why doesn't he give all of it away? Well, actually, he does. But he does so voluntarily. He gives half of it to the poor. And then he says, if I cheated anyone out of anything, I'm going to pay him back four times as much. Now, here's what the law demands. Here's what the law says we should do. When a person wrongs another person, or cheats. That person is guilty. Okay, Zacchaeus is guilty, right? He knows he's guilty. And must confess his sins. 
Zacchaeus is confessing his sins because they say, I'm going to pay them back. Okay, I was wrong. He must make full restitution for his wrong and add one-fifth to it and give it, to all, give it all to the person he has wronged. So how much was he supposed to pay? 20%. 20% of what you cheated. So not about the taxes, okay? He doesn't have to pay the taxes back, but he has to pay back what he took above and beyond what he was supposed to. Let's say he overcharged with $100. How much was he supposed to give back? 120. Very good. How much is he going to pay, give back? 400. Four times as much. What's he set himself setting up for? He's going to be ruined. Because people are there. They're hearing him telling that. Guess what happened right after Jesus walked away and went on to Jerusalem? What happened? People were lining up like, Zacchaeus, didn't you say you're going to pay us back? Oh, here we go. You owe me this much. Oh, he, I'm pretty sure he ruined himself. He gave it all away. He was willing to give it all away. How could he do this? How could he actually set himself up for, to be sued by the community? Because he had found something much greater. Much greater. There's more parables that are being applied here. This is the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl applied. This is the parable that Jesus told in, in, in Matthew chapter 13 when he says, The kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. Most people don't see it. It's hidden in a field. But somebody discovers this treasure, and then he buys this land. He gives everything away. Whatever he possesses, he gives it away. He buys it, or he sells it so that he can buy this one lot, this one plot of land so that he can possess this treasure. And he says it's like, a, it's like a pearl that a merchant who was dealing with pearls found. He found this beautiful pearl, and he, gave, he sold everything he had so he can buy this one pearl. Jesus is the hidden treasure. Jesus is this pearl that Zacchaeus was willing to give it all up just to find him, just to find Jesus. He came to seek what was lost. There's some oxymorons spiritually that you will never understand unless you practice them. But Jesus says, give it all. You'll gain it all. Give it all away. You'll ultimately gain so much more. But scripture says it's better to give than to receive. Where scripture says, die and you shall live. What do you mean, die? You shall live. Unless you come to Jesus and practice it, we'll never really truly understand it. Time for one story. I want to end with this story. Um, sort of retells the story of why Jesus came. This is something I remember from like reading a book by Max Lucado. I couldn't find the book, so I couldn't verify the story if, it's, if I remember it correctly. But here, here's what I remember, at least from my memory, okay? Like 20 years ago, I remember this story, and it just still sticks out in my mind. Um, he tells the story of a father who had four sons. And um, so they grew up with his father. Everything he owned, he gave to his sons. He said, it all belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. I just don't want you to do one thing, one exception. Don't go to the river. Don't get into the river. Just stay away from the river. 
Well, three of the sons, as they grew up, of course, they were curious about the river, and they eventually got into the river. They were dragged away by the river. They were led away by the river, by the current of the river, far, far, far away into a country far away. They fell over a waterfall and came into a totally new nation, separated from the father. So the first one knew he had done wrong, but said, I'm going to prove that I'm still a good person. I'm going to prove that I'm still all right. And so he became this self-righteous person, still trying to protect his reputation. The second one said, I'm going to find my way back through what I do. So he began to build a bridge across the waterfall, trying to work his way back to the father. And the third son said, there's no hope. Might as well just enjoy life. So he became like the people around him. He, he joined the world, became like one around them. Eventually, when the fourth son grew up, the father sent him looking for his brothers. So he traveled along the, the river, finally, eventually came to see, find his brothers and says, the father is calling you back. I came to look for you. Are you coming back? Are you coming back to the father? The first one said, nah. No, I deserve this. I'm a good person. I don't need him. The second one said, no, I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't have time. I, I need to earn my own salvation. It's the third one who was lost in his sins, who accepted the invitation and came back with his brother to the father. It's a story of salvation. It's a story of, of the father who sent his son into the world. And it's those who are lost, those who know that their need of salvation that Jesus came to seek. He's the good shepherd. He came to seek that which is lost. Let's pray.